Welcome to the Idea Blog Podcasts on the Criminal Code of Canada. My name is Lisa Silver, and today we have a long listen on Section 33.1, How Intoxication Became a Form of Mens Rea. In this episode, we will explore the defense of intoxication and how this common law concept became a form of statutory mens rea in Section 33.1, of the criminal code. Intoxication as a defense is a difficult concept involving a clash of perspectives. One perspective finds fault with the defense as it absolves a morally blameworthy accused who, in committing an offense, willingly places himself in an uncontrollable state. The other perspective aligns with traditional criminal law precepts by permitting the defense on the basis that only those accused who have the required fault element of the crime should be punished. Both perspectives have informed this defense through legal interpretation and legislative response. In the end, intoxication as a defense is cumbersome, artificial, and in many respects completely unsatisfactory. The law and legislature has simply been unable to reconcile these differing yet valid perspectives, and the defense remains a legal anomaly. It is in this background we must view the present iteration of the defense as found partly in Section 33.1 of the Criminal Code. I say partly as the judicial interpretation of the defense still applies in some respects. Indeed, we can, for ease of discussion, refer to Section 33.1 as representing the first perspective I previously outlined, the concept of moral blameworthiness. Conversely, the judicial perspective, as ultimately represented in the Davio case through the application of the Charter, represents the traditional criminal law principle of ensuring those without criminal intent, the morally innocent, are not punished. Historically, these two perspectives on intoxication were not separated, and the courts fashioned an awkward alliance between these two visions of responsibility, the morally responsible accused who chose to become intoxicated, and the morally innocent accused who was acting without mens rea and therefore not criminally responsible. To fulfill these two visions, the common law limited the defense to certain types of offenses. The case, which reflects this common law principle, is the 1920 House of Lords decision in DPP against Beard. The principle in Beard's case, as it became to be known, holds that intoxication is not a defense to a general intent offense, but is a defense to a specific intent offense. To understand this split, let's review the difference between general and specific intent offenses. Crimes of specific intent are offenses with a special mental element required above and beyond the general mental element of the offense. Thus, a crime such as theft, which requires the taking of something with the intent to steal, is a specific intent offense. So, too, is murder with the specific intent to kill. Conversely, general intent offenses involve no ulterior goal and only require an intention to act to achieve an immediate goal. Assault is an example of a general intent offense. Applying the principle in Beard's case, 
Intoxication is a defense for a murder charge, but not for an assault. Although the Supreme Court of Canada consistently disapproves of this specific general distinction as artificial and confusing, it still remains an integral part of the intoxication nomenclature. In the 1977 Leary decision, the Supreme Court of Canada considered the Canadian position on intoxication, creating a rule very similar to Beard's case. This rule was reconsidered after the advent of the Charter in the 1988 Supreme Court of Canada Bernard decision. Bernard produced a fractured court with three separate concurring decisions and a strong dissent from the then Chief Justice Dixon and Justice Lemaire, who also dissented in Leary. Byers' majority decision upholds the Leary rule that intoxication is not a defense to a general intent offense. Both Leary and Bernard involved the general intent offenses of rape and sexual assault, respectively. There were strong public policy reasons for eliminating intoxication as a defense to sexual offenses. Even so, Justice McIntyre conceded that intoxication might apply to specific intent offenses, as in those circumstances, intoxication could negate the formation of that specific intent required for those offenses. This was also a safe position to hold, as typically a specific intent offense involved proof of an underlying general intent offense. Therefore, an acquittal for a specific intent offense on the basis of intoxication still resulted in, or could result in, a conviction on the lesser and included general intent offense. An acquittal for murder, for instance, would result or could result in a finding of guilt for manslaughter. The morally responsible accused would still be convicted. In terms of the charter, Justice McIntyre found Section 7 and 11D were not violated by the Leary Rule, as the morally innocent would not be convicted on the basis that the voluntary consumption of an intoxicant would be criminally blameworthy. Further, the Crown must still prove mens rea, which could be inferred, according to Justice McIntyre, from the prohibited act by assuming a person intends the natural and probable consequences of his or her actions. If, however, voluntariness was an issue, meaning the accused was so intoxicated that his actions were not voluntary, and therefore the so-called willing mind aspect of the actus reus could not be proved, then the Crown could prove the acts were of a willing mind based on the proof of the accused self-induced intoxication. Justice McIntyre's decision is difficult to reconcile. Proving mens rea on the incongruous premise that an intoxicated person intends the natural and probable consequences of their actions is debatable. Although, as an aside, this concept has enjoyed recent Supreme Court of Canada approval in the Wally case, See my blog on that issue at my website, www.ideablog.ca. That particular blog is called, Is This the End of Subjective Intention? Further, Justice McIntyre's response to the voluntariness issue is a tautology. By filling in the proverbial fault hole with proof of intoxication, intoxication is no longer a defense or even a state of mind 
but is evidence of the state of mind, which is the key element of an offense. Justice Wilson concurring in Bernard offers a more flexible approach to the Leary rule, permitting evidence of extreme intoxication, quote, involving an absence of awareness akin to a state of insanity or automatism, end quote, to be left with the trier of fact and general intent offenses. On the issue of mens rea, Justice Wilson does not approve of the substitution of self-induced intoxication for proof of the mental element component. In her view, the Crown is still required, even in general intent offenses, to prove the minimal intent required. In the dissent, Chief Justice Dixon and Justice Lemaire found the Leary rule violated the Charter and could not be saved under Section 1. The rule, according to the minority, imposed a form of absolute liability, requiring no proof of mens rea for those general intent offenses where intoxication could negate the mental element of the offense. They also firmly disapproved of the artificial distinction between specific and general offenses. Intoxication, in their view, was relevant to mens rea and should be left to the, quote, fair and responsible, end quote, trier of fact, who is able to sit through the evidence and determine if, in fact, intoxication was to such an extent that mens rea was absent. Unsurprisingly, the Bernard decision attracted many critics, particularly Justice McIntyre's position that self-induced intoxication could substitute for the mental element of an offense. There was the concern that the legally innocent, those accused whose level of intoxication was sufficient to raise a reasonable doubt on the mental element, were being convicted as a result of the Leary Rule. Other Commonwealth countries, Australia in the O'Connor case, and New Zealand in the Camapelli case, which previously supported the rule in Beard's case, ultimately resiled from that ruling. Eventually, Britain too modified the Beard's case ruling. Critics also lambasted the specific general distinction as irrelevant, and as suggested by the dissent in Bernard, creating artificial barriers to valid defenses. In this climate, the Supreme Court of Canada heard the Davio case in 1994, also a sexual assault conviction, where the issue concerned the application of extreme intoxication as a defense to a general intent offense as considered by Justice Wilson in her decision in Bernard. This time, the majority of the court found the Leary rule unconstitutional, and agreed with Justice Wilson's approach in Bernard that extreme intoxication was a defense to a general intent offense. In order to raise this defense, the accused, similar to a Section 16 or automatism defense, must prove it on a balance of probability and is required to produce expert evidence in support. The majority disagreed with Justice McIntyre that self-induced intoxication could provide the mens rea for the offense. The dissent, written by Justice Pinka, found that the Leary rule was based on sound public policy reasons, even though the specific and general intention distinction could lead to illogical results. The majority allowed the appeal and remitted the case for a new trial wherein the defense of intoxication could be raised. The response to Davio was swift. The government quickly legislated a response to the case, and within a year, a new amendment to the code under Section 33.1 received royal assent. 
Section 33.1, as suggested by the summary preceding the text of the bill, amended the criminal code, quote, by legislating a basis of criminal fault in relation to extreme self-induced intoxication and violence, end quote. The section, entitled Self-Induced Intoxication, reads as follows. It is not a defense to an offense referred to in subsection 3 that the accused by reason of self-induced intoxication lacked the general intent or the voluntariness required to commit the offense where the accused departed markedly from the standard of care as described in subsection 2. Subsection 2 for the purposes of this section, a person departs markedly from the standard of reasonable care generally recognized in Canadian society and is thereby criminally at fault, where the person, while in a state of self-induced intoxication that renders the person unaware of or incapable of consciously controlling their behavior, voluntarily or involuntarily, interferes or threatens to interfere with the bodily integrity of another person. Subsection 3. The section applies in respect of an offence under this Act or any other Act of Parliament that includes as an element an assault or any other interference or threat of interference by a person with the bodily integrity of another person. The section is, quite frankly, a difficult read. Subsection 1, which confusingly refers to subsection 2 and subsection 3, so that you have to jump back and forth while reading that subsection, essentially eliminates the Davio exception to the Leary rule by legislating that extreme intoxication is not a defense for general intent offenses, which interfere with or threaten to interfere with the, quote, bodily integrity of another person. The concept of interference with, quote, bodily integrity, end quote, is broad and includes, as per the Supreme Court of Canada in the Tesling case, the right not to be touched. However, the subsection also substitutes the self-induced intoxication for the mens rea of the offense. In subsection 1, this substitution arises from the connection between the elimination of the defense and the accused conduct as, quote, departed markedly from the standard of care as described in subsection 2, end quote. Going to subsection 2, which is entitled criminal fault by reason of intoxication, this section describes a marked departure from the norm, typical language used to explain criminal negligence for the Supreme Court of Canada Tutton case, as occurring when the accused commits the offense, quote, while in a state of self-induced intoxication that renders the person unaware of or incapable of consciously controlling their behavior voluntarily or involuntarily, end quote. Therefore, the deficient state of the accused, both physically and mentally, fulfills the mental requirement of a criminal act. Say, this artificial mens rea is contrary to traditional criminal law precepts and in violation of the Charter, as articulated by Chief Justice Dixon and Justice Lemaire in those dissents in Leary and Bernard, and as found by the majority in Davio. Even so, the legacy of Davio still has presidential value. Courts never overruled the decision, and Section 33.1 has not eliminated the defense for those general intent offenses which do not involve the interference with the bodily integrity of another person, nor has it eliminated the defense for specific intent offenses. The 2007 Supreme Court of Canada Daily case 
nicely outlines the application of the defense of intoxication in light of this. Further, some courts in Ontario, such as in Regina and Sedeno, have found Section 33.1 unconstitutional, although, oddly enough, the constitutionality of the section has not been considered by appellate-level courts. The closest an appellate court has come to discussing the constitutionality of the section is in the 2001 Northwest Territories Court of Appeal case in Regina and Brenton, where the court reversed a lower court decision finding the section unconstitutional on the basis that the lower court did not have a sufficient, quote, factual foundation at trial upon which to mount a constitutional challenge to Section 33.1. In our respectful view, this was not a proper case in which to engage this important constitutional issue, end quote. It's a pressing need for the higher level courts to pronounce on this issue. Certainly, there is societal repugnance for the defense, particularly where the crime committed involves sexual assault. However, there is now societal recognition that alcoholism and drug addiction can be a disease and may leave the affected person helpless to control their substance abuse problem. The concept of, quote, self-induced, end quote, intoxication is truly brought into question in those situations, and the subsequent warehousing of these offenders becomes part of the problem instead of the solution. There is, of course, still the doctrinal concern that the law, by not taking into account intoxication, is creating this artificial mental state where the accused does not actually have the blameworthy intent and yet is punished as if he or she did sense, therefore, we are punishing the intoxication rather than the crime. Thank you, and join me again for my next episode that will be coming very soon. In the meantime, I really recommend that you go to my website, that you read the text version of this podcast, and that you click on the links that are provided to all those wonderful cases that I discussed.